Amen. Now, in Madagascar, we usually start a service out a certain way, and we can do that here. I'm going to call out something in Malagasy, and the church always responds with the loudest and heartiest hallelujah that they can muster. So are you guys ready? Would you like to do it? All right. Deraina Jesus. I was a little weak. Let's try again. Deraina Jesus. Deraina Jesus. Amen. What I was saying was praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. It is customary to begin the service in Madagascar in that way. Because at the very beginning of the service, up until the very end of the service, we want to be giving praise unto Jesus. As you saw in the video, uh, we're quite busy <laughs> all the time. And uh, we spend quite a lot of times, I do, especially teaching in the Bible school. And you'll see it done. And there's not a lot of video footage of it. It was there. You may have not seen it or known it. But there was a smaller group of students we were with. We have our campus ministries. But we also have our Bible college. And to kind of explain the whole idea and thought process behind that is, is I can spend my entire life. And maybe if I'm really, really good, I can build a dozen churches from the ground up. But I can take two years in a classroom and instead of building a dozen churches, I can instead build 50 pastors. And from there on, by extension, in two years, I have gone and built 50 churches. And so that's how it works in Africa. The other regions have different ways, but in Africa, we have found that that is the best way for us to move forward. We have uh, such a great need of trained leadership there. And... Uh, I apologize, my iPad's being a little crazy right now. <laughs> the need is great. The need is very, very great. And so we have to, we have to think in that way. We have, to, we have to ask ourselves, okay, how can I impart myself into as many people as possible? As a missionary, your job is simply to work yourself out of a job. You don't ever, you don't ever say, okay, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. We started with campus ministries we have been, uh, we have had to go through some things. We pioneered that work. We got thrown off the campgrounds twice, and we keep finding ways to push our way back into it. And God is doing some incredible things. And uh, we're now up to, I would say, probably about 50 students. And God is, God is certainly doing an incredible thing. Are you, are you thankful to be in the house of God today? Are you thankful to be in the house of God today? There, there are so many other places, so many other things you could be doing today, but I guarantee you none of it would be as beneficial or as helpful or as great in your life as simply being in the house of God, entertaining the presence of God. Let's begin today. I would like to start, start off in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. And it simply says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Continuing on. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Ooh, man you got to keep reading, though. It gets better. Nay, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. I am here to simply deliver a very simple message to you today. I am persuaded. After, after the last year or two, it might be good to look back upon this scripture and to begin to echo the words that Paul penned to the church in Rome when he was saying, it doesn't matter what I have been through. It doesn't matter the suffering that I have endured. It doesn't matter who has stood against me. It doesn't matter who has neglected me or walked away from me. At the end of the day, I can simply say, I am still persuaded. And I have come to ask you a question today. Are you still persuaded of this? Are, are you still willing to stand up and say, it doesn't matter how bad it has been over the last week. It doesn't matter how bad this next week may be. But, but I am still willing to stand up and say, I am still persuaded of this. And it doesn't matter how bad it may get. It doesn't matter how difficult it may be. It doesn't matter what I'm going to struggle with. At the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow at night, I can simply smile and whisper to Jesus and say, I am still persuaded of this. I am still in this race. I am still in this fight. This is not over. It's not over. I've heard it said many times by my pastor Whenever something crazy is happening and people are dealing with issues, he would simply say, as long as there is breath, there is hope. If you're waiting on a loved one to come back, if you're praying for someone that's been lost, if there's a situation in your life that you think is impossible, I have news for you today. As long as there is breath, there is hope. Don't ever surrender hope as long as there is still breath breathing in their bodies. Right now, we have one of our missionaries in Africa or from Africa, Brother Poole. He is now fighting for his life with COVID. It has, it has nearly struck him down. My brother is a nurse in the ICU ward. Uh, he worked with COVID patients, and he told me some very stunning details. He said, David, he said, I can't tell you how many times I've rolled people in that were alive and rolled them out dead. He said, one thing I have learned is that it's 10 days on the ventilator. He said, in 10 days on the ventilator, if they are not walking out of there after 10 days, he said, the chances of them ever coming out of there drop to almost 5%. He said, it is possible, and it can be done. He said, but it takes a miracle from God. So please remember, Brother Poole, in your prayers, I don't know what day he's on. He's probably at about day 20 by now. And he is fighting for his life. And so... Uh, Please keep that missionary in your prayers. You see, Paul was a man who would go on to endure great persecution. In fact, he would endure great pain and suffering for the truth. And that is why he was able to, to write this. In fact, uh, if there was anyone most qualified or justified, I guess you could say, to quit, uh, it might have been Paul. You know, Paul went through more than anybody. And, you know, all missionaries, 
you know, we, when we, get, we sit down and we talk, you know, hey, what was this like? What was that like? And nobody I know yet has ever come close to what Paul has gone through. In fact, I like to joke sometimes that many times Paul's missionary journeys were more like uh, missionary manhunts in which Paul was fleeing from city to city to city. And so Paul was the most qualified or the most likely person to be able to say, I quit, I throw in the towel, I'm done with this, I have taken my fair share of stripes on my back, and I'm going home. But yet we find here that Paul has simply written down, knowing that his life is coming to an end, knowing that it will soon be over, and he simply said, I am persuaded. Are you persuaded today? Are you still convinced? Are you still sold out that that this is truly the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life? You see, Paul asked the simple questions, what is, gonna, what is it going to take to separate you from God? Is it going to be tribulation? Is it going to be distress? Is it going to be persecution? Is it going to be famine? What about when poverty comes or, or, or peril or death? Are, are these things enough to pull you away from your love of God? Or are these things enough to start separating you from the love of Jesus Christ? Is this going to be what it takes to finally make you say enough is enough? Or are you simply going to down and say it doesn't matter how hard it gets at the end of the day I am still persuaded the year 2020 was interesting for everybody including us in Madagascar my wife and I we spent over 118 days in quarantine lockdown we, that's a long time to stay in an apartment folks that's a long time you start scratching you know your your little number count on the wall at that point. I just want to get out of here, please. I'll take COVID at this point. Just let me get out. Let me breathe some fresh air. And, and we had to deal with all kinds of things. And it, it was amazing in the middle of this whole process. Uh, the year 2020, it, it absolutely changed everything. And it changed the way we do church, the way we think, everything. The whole world, there will never be... Uh, anything like it. Again, I was looking at my little newborn son and I was thinking to myself, I said, he'll never know what life was like before 2020. Right. He'll never know what that world's like and it ain't coming back. <laughs> it's gone for good. And, you know, maybe there were some good things that are going to come out of this. But at, in Madagascar, everything got shut down. The infrastructure, everything, we couldn't leave. We were basically under martial law. Nobody could move. Um, we couldn't have church for a while and then when they opened it up, we had, I think it was limited to 50 people. And just like uh, people, people are the same everywhere, I will tell you that. They deal with the same issues. They have the same fears, anxiety, struggles. It doesn't matter where you go. People are people. Uh, they may speak a different language. They may dress a little different. Their culture may be different. But the DNA uh, underneath all of that is the exact same. And people struggle with all the same things that we struggle with here in the United States. And so when, when the announcement came of the lockdown, guess what they did? They went out and bought everything. But they were smarter. They didn't buy toilet paper. They bought food. <laughs> and, and I watched in about 30 minutes as, as the markets emptied of everything. And there, there was no more rice. There was no more, no more beef, no more grain, no more vegetables. I mean, everything just completely disappeared off the shelves. And me and my wife, we had been tipped off about this earlier. 
and we were well prepared. I was prepared probably a month ahead before that. God had also spoken and gotten uh, the ministers ready. And so we were, we were ready for this moment. We knew it was coming. And when the panic broke loose and everything, we were sitting at home and we were watching as, as the world was collapsing in Madagascar. And they closed the, they closed the ports down. You've got to realize Madagascar is an island. And so we part of what we rely upon, I guess you could say, is from imports. We have imported food and stuff like that to kind of off-balance the, the very rapidly expanding population in Africa. Most people are around 18 years old, to give you an idea. So most people, when I say I work with young people, that means I work with the majority of the nation <laughs> because most people in that age are probably around uh, 18 years old. And everything shut down, and my wife and I, we had to have this conversation. We got this email from Global Missions, and they said, you know, if you want to leave the country, you can. You're certainly free to do so. That's your right. You know, every missionary, you can do it. We're shutting down at headquarters, so you better make your decision quick and get on a plane if you're going to do it. And I talked to my wife, and I said, babe, what do you want to do? I said, we have nothing in America. I said, we have nothing in America. I don't have a house there. I don't have a car. I said, I don't have a job there. I said, we have nothing in America. I said, everything we have is here in Madagascar. Uh, we're, we're totally sold out. This is, this is all we have. And I said, well, you know, what do we want to do? I said, there's uncertainty here in America, and there's going to be uncertainty here in Madagascar. So we prayed about it, and we felt in the Holy Ghost that we were going to stay. And so we did. And I watched as the last air airplane took off. I was teaching. I'll never forget it. That's a very, uh, that's a day you never forget. When that, when that gate closes, you remember that's sealed in my mind for the rest of my life. I was sitting there teaching in the Bible school and I looked out the window as the very last plane out of the country left. And I looked and I in the middle of the class while teaching, I looked up and I said, God, <laughs> I need you now more than ever. I said, because we, we just, we stepped out into the unknown right here. I said, there, there, there was no more getting out. You were shut into the country. And, and I said, their fate is my fate now. And, and whatever happens to the people happens to me. And, and things were going crazy. Uh, believe it or not, there is racism in Africa. Some people look at me and they say, are you, are you serious? And I said, oh, yes, tribes, uh, you think all those genocides and stuff that have occurred in Africa, a lot of that is a root comes down to tribal racial relations between each other. And, and so that, that started kicking up in Madagascar. People were getting upset. I'm a foreigner. Uh, in Africa, if you're a foreigner, you're going to be targeted in those scenarios. We're taught how to get out of them quick. Uh, at one time, I almost got beaten to the ground uh, I think I had about two seconds to get out of Dodge and I did and I was and God I was Lord I went to the grocery store and my hands were just shaking and I was like oh man in Africa it takes about uh, 60 seconds for a mob to form 60 seconds is what it takes in Africa for a mob to form and I'm not talking like, oh, five or ten. We're talking like two or three hundred completely around you. And so whenever there's an incident, uh, I've seen it, uh, a motorcycle crash or something like that, and boom, crowd shows up, crowd shows up. And sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, in these scenarios, it was not a good thing. It was a bad thing. And so we got out of Dodge, and, and we stayed safe. And we started realizing that the nation was running into a very serious issue, a very serious problem, and that was that the food supplies were dwindling. And in Madagascar, 
I know it gets worse and worse and worse, and don't worry, there's more to come. <laughs> In Madagascar, we have something called the dry season and the wet season, and it's exactly what it sounds like. In wet season, it rains every single day for months on end. And on dry season, it doesn't rain at all for months and months on end. So in dry season, we have to be careful. We have to watch the water levels. We have to make sure we're not uh, using too much water, not using too much food. Everybody, not just me, just everybody, the whole nation. You're, you're kind of watching. And so we just had this panic buy of on the markets in the middle of dry season. So we are now sitting in a famine with nothing to eat. We have, we have our, our little bit amount of food and water, whatever you happen to have stockpiled, and, and then that was it. That was all you had. And that was kind of one of those moments where I was sitting down looking at God, and I said, God, I, I, took, a, I took a step out in faith, uh, and I'm having to ask myself, am I still persuaded? Am I still persuaded of this? Because right now, it's not looking very good. It, the, the, the nation right now, and I'm not just talking about the church, I'm talking about the whole nation all 27 million people, we're all about to go into extinction here in a month. We are looking at the very end of the rope here. And the church, we decided what we were going to do because the situation kept inevitably getting worse and worse and worse was that every night we were all going to get together wherever we were. Every, every, it didn't matter if you were in a city, in a town, in a village. It didn't matter if you were a pastor. It didn't matter if you were an evangelist. It didn't matter if you were a missionary or if you had had the Holy Ghost for 10 minutes. Everybody at 7 o'clock at night was going to get on their knees together in unity and pray. So every night at 7 o'clock... A quarter of a million saints, over a thousand pastors and four missionaries would get together wherever they were across that island and they would get together and they would bind together and unify in prayer. And as the infrastructure began to collapse around uh, the nation, uh, communication systems were going down. The internet was lagging and then crashing. And, and telephone uh, service and signals were crashing. And, and it looked like the, we were going back into the dark ages. Uh, amidst all of that commotion, as everything was going down, the church was going up. And it was going up through the power and the unity of prayer. And we learned that even though we could not make direct contact with one another, that we, we did have a line. We did have a line through Jesus. And we could say Jesus was keeping everybody informed. He was, uh, I know there's that old gospel song, Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. And we lived that. Jesus was on the main line. And I know sometimes we, we forget some of those old songs, but, but, we, but we lived it right there in 2020. Jesus was on the main line, and we were telling him what we wanted. And, and, and everything was going down, and the situation was getting bad. And, and, but God would say, hey, this is what's going on over here. We, we didn't hear from the pastor. We heard from God. And Jesus was just relaying the messages of what was going on. He was operating the switchboard. And in the middle of all of this, one night I was walking and I spend most of the nights I walk. That's where I get my exercise. It's calm on the campgrounds at night. Um, if you've ever been in ministry, you, you will know what I'm talking about. You get a million phone calls, a million text messages, a million emails. Uh, people want to talk to you and that's why we're here. That's what we do. But sometimes that, that was my personal time with Jesus for God to minister to me. And so at night I would walk around 
at night with my dog and I would pray and uh, I would look at the stars and just, you know, just kind of get draw closer to God. That was my personal devotion time with God to speak to him. And many times he would speak to me. And in fact, one night we got a message from the government saying that they were going to lift the restrictions for one Sunday. We had one Sunday. That was it. To go wild. (laughs) Brother Richardson, the supervising missionary, called me at 1130 at night. He said, you're preaching tomorrow. It's 1130 at night. We haven't had church in months. I'm going, all right, all right, all right. I'll do it, I'll do it. You got to realize, though, during this time I have COVID. My body is racked with it. I can't breathe. I can barely move. I, I, I am struggling to, to get around this campground at night. I'm on the phone talking. I said, all right, I, I'm going to try my best. I said, I'm going to try my best. I, I know normally we're under lockdown. I said, but the need of what is going on in the church is so much greater than my own personal health. And I said, and if this kills me, then let it kill me. I said, because this is, we have got to do this. We have got to get in there and, and speak a word right now. This is the moment. This is, this is the hour. We cannot delay. And so I hung up the phone and I began to walk around the campgrounds and, and God gave me the message. He gave me the message in its entirety right then and there. And it came with a little footnote and this usually doesn't happen with me. And so it kind of got my attention. He said, when, when you preach the message, you better preach it like it's the last message they're going to hear for a while. And when you receive those kind of instructions from God, you, you take note and you go, okay, I'm going to give it everything I've got. And so that Sunday we went to... We went to the headquarters church, and I preached, I preached my guts out with everything that I had. And my voice cracked twice and then just died on the last scripture. And, and, and I, I made it to the very end, and then I basically went home, and I couldn't move, and I slept for about a week and just, just coughing and hacking and trying to make it through. But it, it's in those, it was in those midnight hour, in that moment with God, that God would give me the strength and would prepare me. And so we're sitting there as a nation in the middle of this famine and this rolling crisis that just seems to compound one to another. It's like a stack of dominoes, and you're just helpless to stop it, and you're watching as it gets worse and worse and worse. And one night I was sitting there and walking around, and I heard this noise. you got to realize out there in the countryside, there's no light pollution, no sound pollution. Um, it's, it's beautiful, but when you hear a noise, you can hear it for a long ways off. It's rolling up the valley, and I hear this, this thing. It almost sounds like nails tapping on metal. Just, just. I'm sitting there, and I'm looking. I'm going, what in the world is going on? This is not normal. This is dry season. And as the noise got louder and louder and louder, it started getting closer and closer, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching as it's coming up the valley. And I can, it's night, so I can't see anything. I'm just, just hearing, I'm just hearing noise. And I felt it hit me. Drop of water. And I started, I said, there's no way that that just happened. I said, we are in the middle of dry season. It, it is, it, 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 we're not talking about, oh, maybe it rains. When I say dry, I mean it, it is dusty and dry for three months straight. You don't see a drop of water. You don't believe me. You can go look it up yourself. You're going to learn what I'm telling you today. It's, it's scientifically, it should not happen. It cannot happen. 
The way, the way the, the, the things shift in work, it does not happen. Dry season, there's nothing done. No planting, no nothing. And before I knew it, I was standing underneath, not, not, like, not, not a little thunderstorm, not a sprinkle, but it was a deluge of water that was pouring out upon the nation all over the place. And it didn't just happen for one night, folks. It kept coming a day after day after day after day for an entire week straight. I watched as lakes were filled back up, and rivers and streams, rice paddies were filled back up. The grass went green when it should have been brown. And the cattle were eating and getting fat again. And the rice, we got a whole nother rice harvest that year. We shouldn't have had it. And a nation that was on the very brink was pulled back by a supernatural act of God. I was sitting there in the middle of the, uh, the, the, the rain, just tears pouring down my face because I was going, God, I can't believe this. God, this shouldn't be happening. God, I, I see now why you wanted me to stay. And if I had, if I had gotten on that plane and, and pulled out with the rest of the people, I would have never been able to walk in the supernatural. I would have never been able to see the supernatural like I had seen that night. And it just, it wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for the church, but it was for the entire nation. Oh, for God so loved the world, the whole world, not just the church, not just the missionaries, but the whole world. And he saw that entire nation. Oh, I'm here to ask you today, are you still persuaded of this? Are you still persuaded of this when it's a famine? Are you still persuaded of this when, when, when the money's not coming in? Are you still persuaded of this when the healing hasn't come? Are, are you still persuaded of this when you don't see a way forward? Come on, people. Are you still persuaded of this? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Your victories are not going to come from anything this world offers. Uh, I've heard it said before, and it changed my life when I heard it, but the devil is not going to come to you as some scary monster. If he did, no one would ever accept him. He's not going to come like that. He's not going to come as this red-horned uh, devil that we see depicted in cartoons. No, in fact, he's going to come to you as everything you ever wanted. That is how he comes to you as everything you ever wanted. And so you have to be led by the Spirit and be able to discern that, hey, even though this is everything that I wanted, maybe this is not what God wanted for me. And, and, and it was tempting to get on that plane. Oh, it was very tempting because I knew what was coming. I knew we were in for a world of hurt. I knew it was going to get bad and it was going to get rough. And I'm still suffering side effects from COVID. Uh, my, my sense of smell is still weird. Uh, stuff smells like propane. <laughs> Your victories are not going to come through anything that this world offers. But your victories are simply going to come through your connection with the king. If you want a fire to keep burning, you have to keep putting wood on it. Receiving the Holy Ghost is just 
the beginning. It, it, it is not, it, that is not the death certificate saying, hey, th- this is the end of it. No, no, no. That, that's a birth certificate. That, that You have been born again. So when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and, and, and you go down in the water in Jesus' name and, and you have been speaking in tongues, that's not the end of the story. That, that's not the end of your walk with God. Rather, that is just the beginning of it. And when that fire is placed inside of you, you have to keep putting stuff on it. You have to keep putting stuff on it. Keep adding some logs to that fire. Keep saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I need to pray a little more. Maybe I need to fast a little more. Maybe I need to get involved a little more in church. Maybe I need to consecrate my life a little bit more to God. What are some things that I can do? Paul said that we have to lay aside every sin and weight. That so easily beset us. Now, the sin part's the easy part. It's the weight part that gets you. Because sometimes we, we try to justify the weights. We negotiate with God. We say, hey, hey God, I, I, you know, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't murder. I didn't steal. We go, we go down the list. We say, hey, there's not a single sin there. God says, hey, what about this? And you're like, ooh, no, 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 no. Let's cover that up. That's not a sin, God. And God's saying, hey, that's slowing you down. We're in a race, folks. And when you run a race, you run to win. You run to win. The church isn't in this for last place. You shouldn't be in it for last place. And so there are things in my life, there are things in my life where God said, hey, hey David, that's a weight for you. you. You need to let go of that thing. You, you need to move away from that thing because, because you have a race to complete. You, you, have, you have a journey to make. And if you're carrying all this extra weight down, that's why you hear it uh, so many times preach. Not only do we need to lay our sins down at the altar, but sometimes we need to examine ourselves and say, God, if there's anything else, anything else, oh God. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm too involved in politics. Maybe I'm too involved in sports. May, you know, maybe I'm too involved in money and finance. And, and, and none of those things are uh, necessarily sinful or, or bad. But, but for some of us, it can become a weight where God is saying, hey, this is getting between me and you. And God's saying, if you'll put that weight down, if you'll leave that weight in the altar, I'm going to be able to carry you further and take you further than you ever thought you could go. And it's not an easy prayer to pray. Don't ever go to the altar and think, oh, this is going to take five minutes. No, you are, at, you are basically you are praying what David prayed. And you're saying, God, search my heart. Examine me, oh God. What you just gave God permission to do was to do some surgery. And, and, and he puts you under the knife. And he's saying, all right, if you really want me to cut some things out, then I'm going to cut some things out. You know, sometimes we get upset about when God cuts things out of our lives and we say, how could he do that? But would you complain if a doctor pulled a tumor out of your body? He pulled something out of you. He cut it out of you. We would never complain about a, a tumor being removed. And so that's, that's spiritually what is happening is sometimes we have sins, but sometimes we have some spiritual tumors. And God cuts them out. And so we have to be careful that we do not start complaining about that 
uh, and say, oh, God, I can't believe you did this to me when, uh, when in fact, it is a life-saving operation. You see, uh, Paul was radically sold out to God. He knew that nothing physical or spiritual could shake his trust in God. Paul knew his identity. He knew his role in the kingdom. He was a servant of the Most High God. And Paul was not the only one sold out in the Bible. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Past tense. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, uh, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers Serve that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to realize that Joshua was saying, hey, look, folks, we've got to make a decision. Are you still persuaded of this? Are you still convinced of this? Are you still sold out that this is truly what we believe? That this is truly who we are? You see, it's amazing. You begin to look. He referenced Egypt. He said, in the past. And then he jumped to the present. In whom's land we currently dwell, the Amorites. But then he started talking about the future. Saying, hey, there's a promise ahead of us. There's a promise ahead of us. You see, you've got to be careful who you're worshiping and what you're worshiping. Because if you're worshiping the wrong thing, it's either going to suck you back into the past or it's going to keep you in the present. When God has a beautiful, glorious future waiting for you. You've got to, you've got to be careful what you are worshiping. You've got to be careful what you allow in your life. Because it, 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 it can change your destination and it can change the way that you are facing. You have got to make up in your mind that it doesn't matter what happens. I am still persuaded of this. You see, Joshua made a clear choice on that day. It did not matter around uh, what others around him did. The old gods of Egypt were not going to have any place in this house. Uh, he was going to serve the Lord. He was persuaded of this. Uh, when, when God gets a hold of you, uh, it's going to change your life. Many times we can all say, uh, that's when I got the Holy Ghost. But, but the follow-up question that we need to ask is, when did the Holy Ghost get you? When did the Holy Ghost get a hold of you? Because at a certain point in the altar, when I was six years old, I got the Holy Ghost. And I thank God for that. I have almost no memories without the Holy Ghost. But there was another point in my life, growing up, where at an altar, the Holy Ghost got me. And it began to really change my life. And so that is, that is something that we have to keep in mind as we go through this walk with God. And we, we, many times we like to point back to, oh, I got the Holy Ghost on that day. But the real question we need to be asking is, when, what day did the Holy Ghost actually get you? Well, when, when did that transformation begin to happen in my life? When did I finally say, you know what, God, I, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm not going to push against you anymore. If this is what you want me to do, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the way I act. I'm going to change the way I talk, the way I walk. If, if this is the transformation, I wish my wife was here to tell her story. Uh, her testimony is absolutely incredible. She grew up facing depression. She turned to alcohol in high school. She, she could outdrink my father-in-law, and he's a heavy drinker. 
and she dealt and struggled with all of this stuff. And she had missionaries in uh, Africa that were UPCI missionaries. She was related to them, and she, she went to go visit them. And she felt something different for the first time in her life. Now, if this is your first time here, don't be afraid. <laughs> we just love God a whole lot. And if you knew what he did for us, you would be right up here shouting too. And so my wife, my wife's first ever apostolic service was in Africa. And I'm here to tell you, Africans, they take it to a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level above anything I have ever seen in the United States. My, my wife said she was plastered up against the wall watching, going, what in the world is going on? But she said, no matter what, I could not deny it. As crazy as it seemed, as wild as it seemed, I could not deny what I felt in that place. And my wife, believe it or not, got the Holy Ghost in Africa and, and was baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. And people do not believe me when I tell them and I introduce her because you would never know it. She, she had only had the Holy Ghost for a couple of years. I grew up with the Holy Ghost, basically. Uh, our stories are about as different as they can be. But if you were to look at my wife and talk to my wife and get to know her, you, you would not believe that she has only had the Holy Ghost for just a couple of years because at a certain point, it wasn't just that she got the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost got her and it began to transform her life. And it completely and totally radically changed it. Second uh, Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. You see, oh, what a trade. What a trade we make with Jesus. What a bargain we make with Jesus. Uh, we, we trade sin for salvation. Uh, uh, we, 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 we trade brokenness for healing. And, and this is one of those great trades that we have with God. When, it, when, when, when there is uh, fear, it, we, we begin to trade that. And in return, we get power and love and a sound mind. And you see, the devil, though, he knows that. And he will actually attack those exact three things. And the year 2020 bore witness to that. You see, uh, he's going to try to separate you first from your source of power. He's going to discourage you from praying and seeking after God. Come on, we've all had to face it. We've all, we've all had to look at that and go, I don't know if I want to pray today. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to dig down in the Word of God. And that, that, this, he's trying to separate you from your source of power. If he cannot do that, next he's going to come after your ability to love God and to love others. He's going to try to turn your heart bitter and, and let uh, resentment and jealousies and, and those things creep into your life. If he, can't get you from, if he can't get you on the power, then he's going to try to come after the love. And, and, and if he can't get the love, then he's going to come after the sound mind. You see, today the world is in, in, in an identity crisis. An identity crisis exists in the world Right now, uh, people are, are saying anything, uh, uh, anything to try to identify as something. Uh, 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 people, people are filling voids with alcohol. They are filling voids with drugs. They are turning to the latest trends and fashions. And they're, they're following celebrities and, and they're following politicians. And they're following everybody except the one person who can radically transform their life. You see... 
the devil knows that if he can begin to, to take away the sound mind, that he can begin to change and alter the course. And so today, and I'm coming to a close, I want to challenge us today, to put that challenge there today. Are you still persuaded? Are you still persuaded of this? Uh, the, the work in Madagascar is, is growing at a very rapid rate uh, to the point where it sometimes is like riding a roller coaster. I've worked till I've been exhausted. There are times I've gone to the pulpit and I said, God, I literally do not have the strength to stand. I said, but if you'll give me the strength to make it through this one sermon, I'd greatly appreciate it. And God has never failed. There are times I've gone to the pulpit sick and tired to the point where I could barely even preach. And God has given me the strength to carry through. I tell you these things not to bring any glory or honor on myself, but to tell you I, I know what it is like to be at the very end of the rope. To be at the very end where you're, when you're hanging on to that last knot and your knuckles are white and bare, and you're getting tired, and you're getting exhausted, and you're saying, God, I do not know if I can make it another week. I do not know if I can make it another day. But I promise you, if you can spend a little bit of time in the altar and begin to reconnect with that source of power and begin to reconnect with that source of love and begin to reconnect with that source of a sound mind, and when you begin to do that, you begin to drive out doubt, and you begin to drive out fear. And, 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 and when it gets bad, you can go back to this scripture and you can utter the words that the Apostle Paul penned and you can say, you know what, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. I am still persuaded of this. I, I, I'm not going to throw in the towel. This is what I believe. And this is, not, this is not just something I do on Sunday. This is not something I just do on a midweek service. This is something I do every single day. When I wake up, it's going to be in the name of Jesus. When I go throughout the day, it's going to be in the name of Jesus. Uh, and when I go to bed at night, it's going to be in the name of Jesus. Church, I'm here to challenge you today. Are you still persuaded of this? Are you still convinced of this? Are you still sold out to this? The altars are open. What I want us to do, and I know there's, there's regulations and restrictions everywhere, and we're going to, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll function with whatever the local ordinance is. So if it's fine, we can come on down to the altar, but together collectively. Because sometimes you realize sin separates. Sin separates. Sin tells you, it'll whisper in your ear and it'll say, you're the only one that did that. Sin will say, it's just you that struggles with that. Nobody else struggles with that. It's just you. You see, that's the devil speaking right there. That's the devil trying to separate you. And so what? sometimes it's good to get together in the altar. And, and, and once, once you have uh, repented of your sins and you get all that out of the way, you need to start binding together with one another and start linking back up. Because when you start linking back up, you, you, you start strengthening one another. And you're able to, to bypass the lie that sin begins to speak when it says you're alone in this. And you can walk up next to somebody and you say, look, I don't know what you've been going through. But man, you are not alone. I am walking with you. And it might be a good idea just to take a second and begin to, to go back to the day you received the Holy Ghost. Go back in your mind's eye to the very moment you received the Holy Ghost and God radically transform your life 
and, and begin to speak out and, and reaffirm to God, I am still persuaded of this. I, I, I know it may have been 10 years ago. It may have been 20 years ago. It may have been 30, 40, 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. But sometimes it's good to take a trip down memory lane and say, you know what? It doesn't matter how hard it has been. And it doesn't matter how hard it's going to get. God, I am still persuaded of this. In Jesus' name, let's begin to worship God right now in this altar.